Right, welcome. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Tim, Tim Freak, for uh, your generosity for being here today to uh, meet with the Australian psychedelic and mental health community and explore many, many realms together, hopefully today. So before we do some formal introductions, I think we might just drop into this, this space together. I'd really, really love to invite you if, you, if you feel like it, you can close your eyes and just shaking off, shaking off the day together. Acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands in which we all come from, the incredible Australia. And as we do this, we might want to feel into a land body, might be the bush, the ocean, mountains, your home or somewhere really, really sacred to you in Australia. And when we acknowledge these traditional elders, we're actually feeling in to our shared land. Also acknowledging the incredible psychedelic medicines and molecules that have been here long before the West got their hands on it. May we explore all these medicines and take care of them, custodians of these medicines in sacred ceremony and in the clinical space. Thank you. So my name's Lani Roy. I am, I'm a social worker and I'm a psychologist and the, the founder and director of Signs of Life Psychology. And I guess my platform really exists to support the growing psychedelic mental health ecology here in Australia. So I just want to acknowledge and sh shout out to uh, my allies and my, my friends in the community of, of PRISM, Psychedelic Research in, in Science and Australian Psychedelic Society and also Entheogenesis Australis and also the Mental Health Foundation who have you know, a huge platform supporting multicultural Australia. And tonight's format, I think we're just going to have a, have a chat, the two of us, to begin with, and um, then we'll open it up for, for Q&A, so there'll be plenty of opportunities for the group to talk to Tim correct, uh, directly. And yeah, what, what can I say about you, Tim Freak? Just that I, I, found, I found your work, uh, I was trying to, trying to reflect on the uh, pinpoint the moment, but it's quite blurry because it was somewhere in the middle of my spiritual breakdown, my spiritual emergence. About four years ago, when I was spending many, many nights trying to figure out this mystery, you know, what is this? What is this mystery that we are all a part of? And yeah, I stumbled across your work and particularly fell in love with looking at the paradoxical thinking and deep awake and, and soul story. And yeah, I thought there could be some potential synergies talking about your work and and what people go through when they prepare um, and integrate psychedelics. So, yeah, would you like to share a little bit about yourself as well, and maybe your um, what you've noticed in the field since this psychedelic boom renaissance? Uh, thanks, Alana. Hello, everyone. I can see all your lovely faces, and uh, hello to everyone who's watching this later. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased to to come into your community really because it's I don't speak a lot about psychedelics but they've played a big role in my life for sure I've, I've spoken at a few psychedelic festivals but that's about it 
for me, uh, my awakening didn't happen through psychedelics. It happened spontaneously when I was 12. Um, and it dramatically changed my experience of existence, was catapulted into a world permeated with love and a profound sense of communion, just sitting on a hill overlooking the town where I was born. Kind of bemused, really. You mentioned a lot of the mystery. I've always been very conscious of how profoundly mysterious this experience we're having is. And it, it seemed like the whole of the adult population was in some sort of coma where everyone was talking about everything except the fact that no one knew what the hell this is. And that completely amazed me. But my first psychedelic experiences um, would have been LSD when I was 18 were absolutely transformational. I mean, extraordinary experiences, which reconnected me profoundly with what I now call this deep awake state. And then through ever since, and, and you know, it, it, I can see that I've been, I've been quite surprised, as I often am, by the way things evolve um, and how the psychedelic movement obviously was huge in the 60s. I caught the tail end of that in the 70s. And then it kind of got quieter. Uh, we got ecstasy, which was obviously a huge thing as well and should not be underestimated, but immensely important, I think. Um, and then this kind of resurgence of shamanic psychedelia with immense interest in ayahuasca, which I certainly didn't see coming. And, and then now probably one of the questions I most get asked when I run retreats, I run retreats helping people have these deep awake experiences without psychedelics um, through deep connection, which is amazing. Um, and and but but I, one of the questions I'm often asked, very often, is should I do ayahuasca? And given how dramatic it is, and it's not particularly easy on on you, um, I, I was really surprised at how that has taken off. And now the renewed interest in the scientific community with psilocybin and the role of Terence McKenna and people like that, I, I have it's been very interesting to to watch and be some small part of. When, when people ask me the same question, should I do psychedelics, should I do ayahuasca, I do like to explore what has been their experience in altered states of consciousness or connection, concentration practices, to get a sense of what terrain, what maps have they explored prior to taking that plunge, because it can be quite severe, quite abrupt. Yeah. So maybe you'd like to share with the, the group just a little bit more about the practices that... Um, you take people through and, and we can talk about any synergies there. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've been teaching various forms of meditation for a long, long time. But the, the, the practice which I've ended up with the last 20 years as the most influential, and it blows me away, actually, how powerful it can be. It's just deep connection. And the simplest form, there's various forms, but the simplest form I'll do if I'm running a retreat, it will build up to an event I just call the immersion because it's like being immersed in connection or, and, and this deep wake experience just arises spontaneously. And, and the telltale sign is this immense love and, and a huge appreciation of beauty, which I also associate with my psychedelic experiences. Like, wow, how did everything get so beautiful? And, um, and the, what I do with people is just get them to look in each other's eyes and maybe to hold hands, play music because that's beautiful. It's very emergent. It's very transformative thing I mean people just look in each other's eyes and so you'll connect with somebody and if you're doing if you're looking now on the screen you can look at my eyes and 
I'm looking at your eyes. And the amazing thing about looking in someone's eyes is you, you see that beautiful face, it's always unique, that's amazing. And then you realize, oh, the thing I'm actually looking at or connecting with, I can't see it. It's the psyche, or the psyche is just the Greek word for soul. It's the soul that I'm connecting with, and it has no material form. I just know it's there. And so you're connecting soul to soul. And if you stay with that and really pay attention, really open to that experience, there's a moment where you can drop into a space where you, where you really see or experience the fact that there's one of us looking at itself. So you're kind of two and one at the same time. And if you do that for a few minutes and then do it again with somebody else, and then do it again with somebody else, and then do it again with somebody else, and I'll do that over a course of about an hour, a bit more maybe, what happens very, very quickly, once you've got over the, this is all a bit weird, and something lets go, and then whoosh, this enormous sense of oneness and love um, is you just can't miss it. And nearly everybody uh, finds themselves tasting in their own unique way, this deep awake state. So that's what I'm, that's what I've, I've never done it on psychedelics. Well, I've done it individually on psychedelics, but never run an event. I don't use psychedelics in my events, but it'd be fascinating to know what, what would happen if you did that. Mm. Um, but one of the things that happens, which is interesting, is that as you're focused, you become very intensely focused, you begin to have uh, visions that I associate with psychedelics. So the faces will change and become young and old. And, and sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm connecting with my dead father or it, like all of those things, which I do associate with psychedelic states, open up through the simply paying attention soul to soul. Mm. Beautiful. And uh, there's an incredible man called Saj Ravi working in this space in, in psychedelics. And he's recently done a podcast where he um, shows clips of some of his psychedelic assisted psychotherapy journeys where he actually uses sustained eye contact at the right time with, with the client um, in a different way to you, but I think the same principles apply that fundamentally he's working on that sustained connection. But the, the client through the medicine actually uses the sustained eye contact for projection work. Right. So, the, right. so the, th the therapist might become, you know, you know, the archetype of the monster or the ex-lover or you know the abuser yeah. whatever it may be but it's through that eye contact of actually mm. hold, holding it um, that the client through the medicine is able able to experience that and then what we know from obviously from trauma attachment is many people have had neglect or abuse they haven't had that sustained eye contact they haven't been able to face you know their their offender and you know in an empowering way so yeah it's eye contact um is absolutely incredible and thing to do yeah, yeah i don't i don't i you know i one can only do so much and i so my emphasis isn't on psychological work when i get together with people mm -hmm. it's on um what would be traditionally thought of as transcendence but i think of it as trans imminence because you're not leaving the body behind or the self behind or you're just coming to this very emergent space of conscious oneness which includes everything, including your individuality. In fact, it really invigorates the body and the appreciation, like I said, of beauty and pleasure as well. Immensely pleasurable. The thing that people always seem to miss out in the, in the spiritual literature, I think, is just how intensely pleasurable these mm. deep wake states are. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that, really. But I could, I could really see how you could use it for other things. And, and 
even when you don't focus on the psychology, just to be held in loving gaze, she will just, it's so emotional. There's a huge emotional reaction from most people. And, and this lovely thing, what I love also with it, and one of the things I associate with the, with the very first psychedelic experience when I was a kid is, is the beauty. It's like, my God, like fairyland, like everything's just sparkling with beauty. And what I love when I'll do, a, do an immersion circle is one of the things that gets said the most is, oh my God, everyone's so beautiful. It's like being with angels. And it's just the strange same group of weird guys you moved, you know, you arrived on Friday with, but by Saturday night, they're angels. And it's that ability to shift how you see and take you to this deeper, more emergent space, which is really precious. Mm. And it may, it may work more synergistically with, with MDMA because MDMA is a heart opener and, and pathogen, and it doesn't necessarily transcend you beyond your, you know, yourself. It's a, it's a very, um, self-medicine so yeah i mean i mean it's, i'm imagining M mdma it, clinical circles with with eye gaze it feels honestly alana it feels like being on mdma without the mdma mdma that's, that's my actually my description of it beautiful it reminds me so much of that that same mm, ooh, ah, thing and uh, and i think mdma is a really interesting experience because it it's a huge heart opening experience it's very sensory and all this but also very truth orientated i always think mm. i i think it gets missed out and can really open up i can see why it was you know so good at for for counseling and things like that because it's it kind of puts you in a safe space where you really can look at truthfully at things mm. I, I always think incredible and i think it's so important to have have a toolkit of yeah of of these activities that you can do without medicines you can it's it's right here right now available to us all we just need a couple of people willing to uh, look back at us and it, yeah very much although I, I also have to say you know because there's another there's another side where people will say to me oh you know but you can do it all without these things you know and I always want to try and explain, yes, but there maybe the MDMA is the one that's most you can do without it. In fact, you know, you can move into that just by remembering it sometimes, I think. But uh, you, the, the, the really far out LSD, DMT, Bufo, those sort of like the, the ayahuasca. I'm not sure. I mean, I've been meditating for decades, 40 something years. And I don't think those states like that open up. I think it, it has a particular, it, it brings about a certain experience or type of experience, a whole range of experiences actually, of course, um, which is Unique. people think they've, they've experienced it without, they probably haven't. And were they to, to actually go through that process, they'd be shocked, mm -hmm. I guess. Yes, I think some people have reported some synergies with, you know, near-death experiences oh uh, yeah near-death experiences might well be similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah not yeah not your standard uh, morning meditation <laughs> but not just i'm very intentional to my breath no probably not although maybe some people but uh, you know it does feel like all of these things I, I guess that's the thing really alana it's like they all everything opens up something slightly differently hmm. so if you play with the system if you play with your your what I would call a passivity system, a, a way in which you you function in relationship with the universe, 
everything you're doing, whether it's taking a chemical or, or paying attention in a certain way, is changing your relationship with the universe and yourself on some level, biological, sensory, or, or imaginal. And uh, the, every change is its own change. So it's its own experience. They're not, they're not the same. That's the whole point. That's the exciting thing about being deep awake and I guess being a yeah, deeply feeling aware exploratory human being is it just the, the rich tapestry of experience available. And I think when people disconnect from self and, and, and the planet, um, you know, obviously depression and, and, and the suicidal mind, it, it can become very dull and very yeah, nihilistic and very yeah, the void. And that's, that's, de that's definitely the, 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 the kind of spaces that I entered before I found your work and like you and, and many others when I started to um, open up and explore it's, it's really just endless endless possibilities with consciousness and with uh, the terrain that we can enter so I think that is the exactly the right phrase endless possibilities and you know, my, my whole take on what existence is because you know my question is always I wake up every morning and this is happening like what the hell is this and there's obviously a fair bit to say about that but are you getting any closer any closer to oh, crack the code? much closer much closer especially over the last 10 years i really much closer now it's not about cracking it because because any any map you develop or any understanding is not the thing itself but think you you don't i mean you just look at the understanding human beings have gotten out of the universe it's on a different level to what we had say just a few hundred years ago and I think we can do that individually. And I think the scientific, the, the scientific community in their study of physics and biology has really hit the benchmark high. It's like, wow, this is, and it's still moving like an express train. And I think the spiritual community really needs to up its game to actually go, no, we need to understand the things we're looking at. You know, we're looking at all of these imaginal experiences, psychedelics, meditation, DMT, shamanic journey, all the things which, which uh, which spirituality and we need to raise the game and understand it with the same level of clarity and sophistication um and in, in attempting to do that i think that's we can move a long way and i certainly feel personally moved a huge distance and one of the ways is to sort of connect it with what we were saying is to say well when i see this moment it seems like what i'm in i call it the time stream there's a there's a flow of experience everything's a process and that process from what we understand from science has been going on for 14 billion years and that process is the one the universe in relationship to itself through every system that exists in the universe and that process could be described as the continual realization of new possibilities because you know one of the things that makes me always make me laugh is to think you know 14 billion years ago what existed was pretty much just helium sorry uh, hydrogen with a little bit of helium and now that gas has become you and me having a conversation about the universe now that's extraordinary but that seems to be true and so you can see it's the realization of new possibilities so when we enter these spiritual states i think we see that we see endless possibilities and I, I mean, I always remember Terence McKenna talking a lot about this, you know, like from his visions, psychedelic visions, endless realization of endless possibilities. 
And I think that that might be because that's what this is. We're in each one. Each moment is realizing a possibility, something that's never happened before based on what based on the past, something new based on the past, something new. And that's got us from hydrogen to us. And where is that evolution happening now? Well, it's still happening on the biological level. It's happening on physical level, but very slow. It's happening on the biological level, still comparatively slow, but much faster than physical. But the place it's happening like an express train is on the imaginal level. It's evolving there right now. It's, you know, I'm, it's evolving as we speak in that level. And then so if you catapult yourself into a state you've never been in before, wow, that's a real uh, context uh, catalyst for, for evolution, new possibilities. So let's talk about that, because for some people, the, the experience of endless possibilities through psychedelics, can, it can be joyous, it can be um, awe-inspiring, it can be you know, permanently life-changing, but for others, it can be very destabilizing. And people can often return from psychedelic experiences very fragmented and also unsure what to do with, with their ego that they have, they have battled with for years, for decades, then they've, they've transcended. Um, they've you know, journeyed into unity consciousness and then they've returned. They've returned to their bills, the job they don't like, uh, the monkey mind. And many people wanna get rid of the ego. They want it to not be a, a feature of their life. They, and then and the, the battle on the wall continues. And then what can happen is the urge for altered states uh, continues and then people can be quite un unintegrated because they're chasing they're chasing those uh, possibilities so I'm, I'm curious about any words of wisdom or how your philosophies may help navigate people in those spaces yeah so I said earlier that people ask me should I go and do ayahuasca I, I didn't say why what, what I answer them um because I'm not always, I'm not sure it's a good idea I know it was a good, I know I loved it, um, didn't, but, but I'm me and I'm different. And so it all depends. And that's not just with psychedelics, but there's a lot of people get very messed up in the same way from just the other non um, chemically induced um, spiritual experiences all the time. I think the philosophy I'm exploring really does have something to say about that. So if you take this evolutionary approach and go, well, there's this unfolding of the realization of possibility um which we are at the leading edge of the mo this moment is always the leading edge of it then the the where we've come from the 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 biological world the physical and biological world our own individual biological nature is what the psyche is emerging from and if you take that idea i said earlier which seems really a powerful idea to me which is look that the universe is a unity. It's a universe, but it's also individual and it's everything in it is relating to the rest, including me. So here I am. What am I? I'm Tim, which is an expression of the universe in relationship with the universe. And the same for Alana and Dan and Rob and Lux and Priscilla and everyone. We're, we're, we're individual expressions of the universe in relationship with the universe. And the body is the foundation from the psyche and the individual psyche is the is the foundation from which we can then become conscious of these 
these transpersonal experiences. Now, if you if you have that experience, well, the the coming back, if you if you if you buy into a more traditional philosophy, which paints and most old spirituality is not evolutionary it's in a profound sense devolutionary for understandable historical reasons you know i'm grateful to all these people i just think things move on and what i mean by that is the the idea you'll find very often is uh, there is a perfect state and we've fallen from it that god has fallen into a dream and lost his way uh, the body is a tomb that's an idea i just read in hindu philosophy it's also there in plato this is very common the soul has got trapped in the body you you you're you've got this illusion that you exist as an individual and you need to free yourself from that illusion and then you can be in this wonderful place where everything's okay and then you take psychedelics or or have a deep awake experience and suddenly you are immersed in this amazing place and then you come back it's like, oh no i'm back here and, it's like, and for years it felt like this 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 tin fucker he's the problem if i could just get rid of him you know it'd be like I now think that's the opposite is the truth. I think the universe has evolved as us, as to us as individuals in order to support these more emergent states. And you need a strong individuality to support a strong transpersonal state, which is why if you, if, if the, if the, if the structures of the individual self, the psyche are not strong enough to support it, it, they ca it can be really dangerous. And rather than being a good experience, it can be a bad experience. But if they are strong enough, you can lift off and come back. And that coming back is really important. And there's one other thing, if you don't mind, that I'd like to share here, which is the idea in this philosophy of what consciousness is. Now, consciousness is a funny word that's used in, for lots of different things. But the way it looks to me, the best way to understand it is that everything is the one in relationship to itself. And that relationship of reading the universe has developed to the point where I can read the universe in, uh, there's so much information coming in, I can choose to read some of it in, if you might say, in high definition. And when I pay high definition, woof, there it is. So I'm paying high definition attention to you, you're in high definition. The house where my wife is, I wasn't paying attention to that, now I'm thinking of it. Uh, now I, the rest of my office, oh, now I'm thinking of it, it's in high. So wherever you place the attention, it comes into high definition. So if you have a profound transcendental experience, like I am thinking of one I had a couple of years ago, where literally everything dissolved into light. Then no Tim, no nothing, just God, it felt like really. Well, it's all afterwards. At the time, it was just, ah. You can think that somehow the rest is dissolved, yourself isn't there, time has ended because nothing changes, and then your attention comes back. And it's like, oh, I was in the timeless space for 20 minutes. And what I'm trying to say with that is all the, the self hasn't gone anywhere in, in transcendental, no self experiences. It's just your attention that has moved. You, the individual, have paid attention to the non-dual. And then there it is. And then you, the individual, return your attention to the world. And when you get that, you realize that nothing's gone, nothing's dissolved. It's always been the foundation from which you can have these, these uh, more emergent transcendental experiences. That's, you've just explained that even more clearly to me. So thank you, that, that was beautiful. Yeah, um, really powerful piece, I think, for, for psychedelic preparation and integration, being able to 
navigate and have those maps and yeah. be be grounded in self and and practice shifting choosing when to shift in and out these states and i think you know there's this caution for people with borderline personality processes because we often say that in order to uh, dissolve the ego there there does need to be an ego there a personality structure um, and that's why we do a lot more work and support with people in the community who who do present with those diagnosis it's not to say that they can't do it because they do um, but it's just helping them to develop that secure base um, bit by being bit. safe and a good guide isn't it it's, I mean if you have you know if you're going to do those you know, or the right environment or the right people or every you know if you if you make it if you're going to take a, a big journey feeling safe is really good news <laughs> and because then you can let yourself go a bit can't you and then and then you know you can have very interesting experiences where you don't feel safe but from a safe basis if that exactly. paradox you know is allows you to do that yeah yeah i always uh when the lights turn on after my ayahuasca journeys and often mine are quite quite harrowing i'm a i've been a, um, a sexual abuse therapist for 15 years so i feel like a lot of my a lot of my work that I do is um, kind of removed in, in ceremony, but it is that paradox of when the lights go on, I'm just beaming and I'm just full of joy. But then, you know, rewind the clock a couple of hours, it was, uh, you know, not looking that way. So yeah. that's what I love about psychedelics is when you can have that safety and that trust in yourself and trust in the universe ultimately and the medicines, you can um, sit with profound paradox. No, at the, at the I, I think that yeah that's that that trust is really important i mean one of the things i'm just personally really grateful for i feel very very lucky incredibly lucky really is that that initial experience when i was so young it gave me this it was so profound it left me even at my worst of times with this deep trust in something greater god i guess or the universe whatever word works for you because they're all loaded words but that sense of ah there's something fundamentally good going on here despite all the shit mm -hmm. and there's something fundamentally safe despite all the danger and and i i'm i'm in awe of people who get through life without that because there's no way that i could it's it's fundamental to being able to because life you know let alone psychedelics life is so challenging and so difficult and throws up you know so much at you and then so much in you and these are it's a it's a hell of a journey it's beautiful and wonderful and fun and all the rest of it but geez it's also bitter and and hard and they're from you know places of relative privilege and you know it's just just acknowledging um yeah, we, we all we all have to face those battles, those existential battles. But just uh, you know, particularly the people that I, I work with from early childhood trauma, that when they haven't had that that secure base instilled in them at all, mm. yeah, they they go on that hero's journey, you know, throughout mm. their life, and and many of them find it, you know, without yeah. without it being given to them ever or or in their in their family. But um, I guess that's the power of these these states is it is there, <laughs> it is available. Um, shifting your attention, shifting your relationship, shifting your experience in the body, and you can have access to it. Yeah, resilience, you know, is a, is a very underestimated quality. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> that kind of ability to come back into shape. Hmm. I, you know, that it, it's a really, yeah, it's a, 
it's really worth developing, I think, because that enables you to make those journeys. Mm. And you described it beautifully. You're on a harrowing um, experience and the light comes on and you're like, ah, you know, and I, I remember similar. And that, that, that kind of, um, for some reason, I have Walt Whitman in my head going, here I stand with my robust soul. It's the idea of a robust soul, that it's, that it's mm. strong in itself. And why, you know, in the ancient mysteries, which I've written about extensively and, and, and in Kabbalah as well, they often wouldn't let people begin the real deep spiritual journey until they were in their 40s or 50s. Mm. Because the idea was you just haven't developed enough yet. You can't dismantle it or go beyond it or until you've built it. And so you need to be solid in the world. You know, one of the problems for people like me, I suspect, is I started so young and didn't do that. Mm. And, and, that and that may have been a blessing in one way, but not in another. And if you think in the ancient mysteries where almost certainly they were ingesting um, something that say Eleusis and so forth, that again, you've got the idea of that, that you need a foundation for it. Absolutely. And I, I began my journey very young at about 14. And I just, yeah, I just look at the cultural container that was around me at that time, which was, it was so limited for, for elders, for um you know, anyone able to have to hold a conversation that didn't involve, you know, um, some form of dogma or, you know, so I think um, the, the excitement of this field of psychedelics is that, you know, young people are being exposed to various forms of thinking, you know, where we're looking at mycology, anthropology, sociology, psychology, you know, all, all different realms uh, coming together. To talk it does about. feel like, I mean, I, I, you must tell me, Alana, because I'm really just on the fringes. I meet people when I travel and so forth. And, but, and people send me things to read. But it looks to me like the whole psychedelic thing has come back, but it's kind of grown up. Mm. Yeah. Would that be fair? Well, I wish I had the privilege of uh, being you know, around in those times. But from what, from what I sense is that people are, people are taking this serious. We don't want another prohibition. We don't want... Um, we want the data, you know, we know that it's yeah. more than data. We know that there's many elements of this we'll never be able to prove in a, in a, in a lab, obviously, but we want the safety and we, we want the, um, the policies and structures and the, the cultural container to support it so that it doesn't go backwards. Yeah. It can yeah. only, only go forwards. So yes, it feels like it's, it's maturing, but um, you know, like any, any new, new field, yeah, there's, there's lots of, um, interesting characters and interesting dynamics. And, um, and this is why it's important to have these discussions because there can be spiritual bypassing, there can be um, you know, abandoning the ego and, 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 and thinking you're in these, you know, uh, you know elevated so states of consciousness. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is it strikes me that those are add-ons. I mean, if you certainly, if you think, um, if you think back to the birth of the psychedelic movement in the 50s and 60s in the west they went out and found those ideas afterwards although people like huxley was very deeply embedded in vedanta and indian philosophy which has all that so it's a kind of a, a it's kind of like the, the we often don't realize what creates us culturally um, but that's a kind of combination of, of of the arising of psychedelics meeting the influx of indian philosophy hmm. And in my own journey as a philosopher, I did a lot of work about looking at what Christianity was about and discovering this Gnostic center of Christianity, which was quite different to the, the Christianity that, that is in the mainstream. Um, 
and did a critique of that and grew up feeling very critical of my Christian tradition, which I couldn't find what I was looking for in. But it's really taken me until the last sort of 20 years for me to do the same thing and go, oh, hang on. I stepped into a counterculture absolutely immersed in Indian philosophy and kind of just accepted it. Not, not totally uncritically, but not far off. And it's taken me a long time to go, I, I should use my same critical uh, faculty to critique what is in effect Indian religion as I did Western religion mm. and see what's a value, which of course there is lots of value and what isn't a value, what, what we need to leave behind. So I'm, I'm curious before, before we move on to, I've got a couple of questions. I'm well, I think we've been talking about an example already, Alana, which is the role of the individual self. So that idea that you you need to have you have a, a thing in you which is holding you back called your ego. Now, don't get me wrong. Egotism is obviously a bad thing. You know, me, me, me. You know, that's not good. But the idea that your actual that, that you know, for me, the, the I, maybe the ego is the wrong word. But I, in my book, I call it the ego is the hero of the hero's journey. You, the individual, your story. But what you get is this this view that what makes you human is actually in the way. And you get that from these ancient, what I call devolutionary spiritualities of which the Indian version was very influential on me and my whole generation and then seep through to generations afterwards, which goes, you know, your ego, your individual self, the I, that's a bad thing, it's in the way, you don't have one, it's an illusion, get rid of it and then you'll see God. And that's what I said, I think it's fundamentally wrong, but it also is your emotions are bad things, your attachments are bad things. You know, I, I have this joke where I thought of my little girl when she was small and I, her coming up to me and going, Daddy, I love you. And me going, hey, don't get too attached. You know, it's like, that's just nuts, all of that, isn't it? It's like, I want attachment. I love it. Does it lead to suffering? Undoubtedly it does. Is that a price worth paying? Absolutely it is. You know, and it's like, it took me a long while to go, hang on, let's undo this. What, this is my humanity we're talking about here. Um, but those old traditions are arising in a world absolutely full of suffering and looking for a way out, a, an escape. And, and in Buddhism, for example, it's explicitly about escaping from suffering. And the way to do it is just to take your attention away from your humanity, away from what you want, away from your drives, away from your emotions, away from your love affairs, your attachments, sexuality, everything. Just get it somewhere else. And then that won't bother you. And is that true? Probably. Is that a price worth paying? No. And that's a shift around for me. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, re I resonate, you know, I, I've actually been training recently in T Tibetan Bon Buddhism and, you know, feeling into those realms, but also just really loving, you know, where I'm at at this stage in my life, my, my ego, my personality, my, myself. So I feel like I'm moving into like the kind of the best of all, of all worlds of um, really making, making friends with, with the personality and all its quirks and choosing when I need a break from it and shifting into those. Beautiful. Yeah, and you can have both, that's the key. It's like, and that's why I love this idea of, look, what are you? You are the universe in an individuated form in relationship with itself. So you are the one in relationship with itself. So is it all one? Yes. Are you an individual? Yes. Do those two go together? Absolutely they do. So if you can get how they go together, then suddenly you're relating to the other, both the whole world, the natural world, the inner world, other people, everything, in a completely new way now. Because they are not, they're not uh, separate 
in some absolute way. You're deeply communing. And if you go into those states deeply, and what I always loved about psychedelics, I know not everyone I saw take psychedelics had this experience, but for me, it always opened up that. It's always like, ah, there's the big love again. Wonderful. And that feeling of just connection with the, the nature of everything. And before we move on to some questions, which I um, just want to say thank you, Lux, for helping me with some questions. Uh, I just, just want to acknowledge that when you, and I'm sure, and this does apply, obviously, without psychedelics, but the more you open up to the mystery, the more you see ceremony in everyday life, you know, r ritual and magic and, and opportunities for just catching, catching the universe in action and, and just in awe, really. And that was, that was one of the most profound things for me when I started exploring philosophy in these depths and also psychedelics was that, you know, when I do wake up, although there is that suffering and, you know, a, a lot to, to ponder existentially, the universe is at play constantly and there's, there's so much to catch and there's so much to celebrate. And, and I think um, as people prepare for psychedelics and integrate, um, I really, a big part of my work is helping them to fall, fall in love with that mystery and, and the excitement and um, the exploration and you become your own explorer of, of consciousness, which is deeply empowering. You can do it at any time. Absolutely right. Actually, my, my very last uh, psychedelic experience that I had, the message absolutely loud and clear was, okay, pay attention to your human journey, Tim. Just, just do that, you know, especially because you're getting old now, so there's not much of it left. So that's your priority now. It's mm -hmm. like, get into this experience because this won't last forever. There's plenty of time for all the others. This one. And mm. uh, it left a big impression on me. Mm. And I guess that's the... Uh potential pitfall of wanting to eliminate the ego is that we are given this opportunity for form and for this personality and for our roles and our and our relationships and, and attachments and if we spend a lot of our time trying to rid ourselves of that um you know we, we may it's be been 14 billion years hasn't it Look, 14 billion years to create you and me and then what we're going to do i just oh I'll get rid of it <laughs> it's like and and honest to goodness i mean i look at all these faces here in front of me and i you know i don't know them individually actually i do know rob but no one else and uh it's like i can see it's like our individuality is so precious and mm. when i enter that deep awake state and there's that big love i don't look and go oh yeah you're not really real i go god you're so real and and i and i love you for it and i want to encourage your individuality because the world needs you and what the and the, that realization of new possibilities that can happen only through you because you're a particular current and that and part of that so so the whole thing in a way has turned around for me alana this is another way it's turned around mm -hmm. is that i would have seen our evolution as leading towards this ultimate state of enlightenment transcendence leaving it all behind whereas it now feels that it's actually the evolutionary process which is the primary thing and these deep awake states can help us new, new, re, reach new levels of the evolutionary process in which we i have this new word which i i like where i talk about us evolving from individuals into what i call unividuals which is an individual conscious of unity but it's an individual but now conscious of unity and i think that's where we're going that's the next step 
not leaving behind individuality, like some discarded thing that should never have been there, but fulfilling it, taking it to a new level. Ooh, now what happens if we live as individuals conscious of unity? That's the next stage for us. And that's the, um, that's the piece that people often need support with landing and, and stabilizing after psychedelics once they've had this, this, this oneness and then they drop back into self. How do you sustain all of it? You know, being able to see the yeah, the uniqueness in each of us as well as as well as the oneness, and it's actually it's quite challenging. <laughs> it's it quite is. challenging. So I'm just I'll have a quick look at um, a question, then we'll we'll probably open it up to everyone else because we've covered a lot. Um, hmm. I guess, is there anything anything that you would like to share with, I guess, people about, about to engage in psychedelics, I guess, from a, a preparation and integration perspective around anything with um, paradoxical, paralogical thinking, anything anything else with a deep awake state that could offer up some, yeah. Words. Oh, there's, there's, there's probably lots, Alana, but um, maybe, maybe it, it is worth just glossing this work, this idea of paralogical thinking, which mm -hmm. is uh, a foundational idea for me, which is that you know, when you think often, I would call it monological, is you're looking at things from one direction. Um, and that's, uh, that's when you can end up in a kind of fundamentalism often, or you're just seeing one, and it's like seeing an object and only seeing the front of it and not being able to realize it's got a back, for instance. And so paralogical thinking is being able to see things from often opposite perspectives. One of the simple ways is like, well, I've already done one way. We're all one and yet we're all individual. And they, that looks like it's contradictory, but it isn't. It turns out it's complementary if you can get it. So you're in this battle. I must get rid of my individuality to experience the oneness. And then it's like, oh, no, I don't. These are complementary. And then suddenly that battle's gone or you know good and bad it's good it's bad well it's nearly always a combination of both from different perspectives and so this paralogical thinking both and it is probably both um you know are psychedelics good sometimes <laughs> often maybe sometimes not you know it's like what's the situation all of these questions become much easier to have a subtle sophisticated uh way of processing mm. if you have a paralogical approach where you you don't discount what seems the opposite until you investigate it and see if there's something in it which is complementary. And I think that can be really, really helpful. And then the evolutionary thing is so helpful because if you can, you know, if you come back from a very emergent experience, whether, whether it's with or without psychedelics, it's like when people say this all the time, they come to my retreats, like, oh my God, and then they come back and there's a moment of settling back in and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And the key thing is, is to be patient with yourself because you're on this evolutionary journey so you're in you are all the less emergent levels around you in the world are all the less emergent you know, just because i transcended for a moment my biology doesn't mean that i still don't need to eat and sleep and have a wash and, and all of that stuff it's like we're still enmeshed in a in the world that's flowering into something greater and i think that can really help and as you as you said there i think it's so so potentially helpful a tool this paralogical thinking if people can familiarize themselves with that such a 
start to explore that, get a sense of that in their bodies, in their in their life. Because when you do experience very confronting psychedelic journeys where it was, you know, terrifying yet the exact information that you needed, or it has completely destabilized your life, but everything that you you know, needed to reclaim yourself. You know, there's so much paradox in psychedelics. And I think people can have kind of sustained injuries if they go in with rigidity and um, unable to, to, to hold multiplicity and, and navigate uh, paradox ultimately because psychedelics by their very nature are paradoxical. Yeah, I mean, again, what I love about this image of the one in relationship to itself is existence is, it's not, existence is not non-dual. There's a there's a little change. You said what were the ones? Well, there's one. Existence is not non-dual. It's unidual. It's one as two. It's one in relationship to itself, and they're both real. So no wonder it's paradoxical. So if you mm. want to understand its depths, and those things that I was talking about earlier, you know, when I I said I you know said attachment and made the joke about my daughter. To really say what I'm saying, I'd need to take it further and go. But I'm not saying you should just be caught in attachment. That's horrible. And you need, if you can find a place inside of you, which is the more emergent state where you're actually not attached, then they both sit together. Uh, for instance, I mean, I think about being with my mother when she was dying and there was, I'm very attached to her. I mean, I loved her to bits, wonderful woman. And it was heartbreaking. And as well, not instead, but as well, there was this other I was aware of a, the, another part of my soul, which was, which was not attached, which mm. was just right with the whole thing, just as it was. And those weren't, it wasn't a one, a one or the other choice. It was both at once. And the poignancy of that is what made the experience kind of magical, yeah. actually, even though it was also terrible. And, and, and I see that a lot around death, that people think they must have one, it's one or the other. So when people used to say, how do you feel after my mum died? It was like, I, it's hard to say, because I'm at once heartbroken and ecstatic. And, and those two kind of fitted together. And, and oh, I resonate, I resonate deeply with that. That, that. that kind of sums up when someone asks me, are you scared of death? And it's like, well, I'm both. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. my, of course exactly. I am, I, my, my, my physical body, my personality, absolutely. Yeah. Yet there's this, this, this other, other, elements of me that there's a trust there's an unfolding there's a process so it's and I live my life in the, in in both those spaces of my human my human reactions which are natural and then those deeper transpersonal kind of knowings so that, that seems realistic to me much mm. more realistic much more like reality shall we open it up to the group do you feel okay with that yeah great yeah awesome so we might we've got M. do you want to speak to that yourself I can read it out if not to you that's okay I'm happy to ask it hi Tim um thank hi, you so yeah. much my brain is going to take a while to process everything you said but loving every minute of it um I'm just curious if any part of you or yourself um has found that everyday moments have become less valued um due to your explorations I just still don't enjoy doing the accounts <laughs> uh, no matter how hard I try to see the great value of it it just feels like a pain in the butt um yeah lots of things really I mean it, it's more that uh it's not like they become devalued because I understand the role they have to play but you know like everyone I've got things I love and it's like you know yeah let's do that and then things I really don't want to but I understand I have to do a whole lot of the things I don't really want to do to enable the things I love 
and that's the paradox of having a life isn't it you know it's that's the way it is do you, do you think because of the exploration though you're more I guess accepting of that as opposed to you know a lot of people are just like you know oh, I can't be bothered stuff this and they get into this really negative space do you think that that helps yes. you to stay more positive and focused on the bigger picture I guess yes yes and mm. and definitely and and I I you know I am incredibly lucky and I don't want to underestimate that because I I get to wake up in the morning and I love to try I, I, the way my life has turned out now is that I can I, I, I ask that question what is this and off I go and that's the mm. day and that's what I love to do and then hopefully I've got something to share with others that's of value for everything they do for me because I'm not very practical so if I've got a plumbing problem I need to get somebody else to do that and yeah they come and Thank do you. it and it's great and then, <laughs> and then I can offer them this amazing thank you and M, as we, there's a quote that says, after enlightenment comes the laundry. And then, you know, I like to take it a bit further. And then with good integration, you know, even the laundry can be magical, you know, play some music, you know, talk to someone while you're doing it. So it's about, yeah, falling in love with the mundane as well in life, because there's a lot, there's a lot out there, particularly in capitalist societies where we're working way too hard and quite disconnected from the land. Um, you know, finding yeah the mystery and magic in those really small kind of ordinary moments is really strong medicine, I find. Yeah. Thanks, Lani. We'll go to Courtney next, and then to Dan. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. I'm um, deeply touched uh, in the heart, and it was a nice. Um, it's been a nice ending to my day to become centered again and reminded. So. Yeah, just to just to thank you because um, yeah, it's been very affirming to listen to you speak today and and Alana particularly you know over the last um, few weeks to you know have these kind of opportunities to speak where this is kind of just normalized as as a worldview is really um, really helpful to me at the moment. Yeah. Fantastic! I'm delighted. I'm so pleased. Lovely to hear your voice. Beautiful. Thank you. Got a big, see my big grin? I'm going to have to try and make it smaller. Makes me very happy to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> Dan. Hi, how are you going? Perth? It looks like the weather is changing for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little wet today. <laughs> but not too bad. Um, but, uh, oh, Tim, that was, it was just so illuminating to listen to you um, talk about consciousness. And, um, I just had a question. Um, well, I've had three questions. If I say them all quick, maybe they'll seem like one. But they, um, when when it comes to exploring consciousness and then interpreting what you experience, so whether it be through breath work or a psychedelic experience or meditation or whatever, however, or just something that happens organically, um, in terms of integrating your experience thinking about your experience maybe when you get back to do the laundry and and where and the role that your understanding of truth what you actually experienced and how you interpret that so do you interpret it from a very sort of you know i know this to be true because i know xyz or is it much more sort of based from an intuition that you just i have a sense that this is true that this is the way that it is you know how, how do you 
sort of navigate your experiences and and sort of be sure that you're that you're right <laughs> you know if you know if you know if that makes sense uh, where, 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 where your own interpretation of truth comes into your experience. Yeah. That was a really deep question, Dan. So, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I love it, of course. That's the best <laughs> right. That's fantastic. Um, so this is where I've ended up so far, which is, uh, because I'm in, interested in evolution, I look at the evolution of words a lot. So truth the root of the word truth or true is from trustworthy, like a true friend and, or like a false friend, untrustworthy. That's its root. And I think there's something profound about that because things we hold to be true are ideas with which we process our lives that we hope are trustworthy, that we believe are trustworthy. So, and you can see why it's so important to have trustworthy ideas because if you, if you believe the wrong, something which is false, then it's gonna come back on you sooner or later. And, and you can see that as evolution has progressed from very practical things like hunting, where it's like, is it true that the game is down at the waterhole? Well, you're gonna walk for three days, better be, you know, and all of that. And so then it, it kind of frees you up. You get, you get rid of this idea that somehow the words are containing the truth or something. It's like, no, what we're looking at is what is an understanding that helps us process the nature of existence, which we can trust. And you're looking for plausibility then given everything I know, what's plausible. And you're, you're trying to make your own ideas congruent with all the other things that you've found to be trustworthy so far. And if they are, they're plausible. And if they're not, it's less plausible. And then also we live in community. So one of the things I think is there right from the beginning, if we think of our people going hunting down to the waterhole, is like, uh, what do you think? <laughs> and if the whole group think, yeah, I reckon it's probably plausible. But if if the rest of the group go, no, 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 that's not, I mean, then probably it's not. So we do that. You can see that in the scientific community, but we also need to do that in our communities. And and then you've got the thing which you're really focusing on, which is the next level again, which is another more emergent level of cognition, which is still, which is very important. I wish it was more more uh, common which is what I call foundational reflection. There you're reflecting on your experience and trying to work out the most plausible way to understand it as trustworthy, a trustworthy way. But what if your foundational ideas with which you're processing this are wrong? What if your underlying assumptions about reality are wrong? Yeah, and yeah. that's where philosophy comes in, that you yeah. then go, and that's hard. It takes time. It, it, you know, you have to, it's a bit like with your computer, you know, if, if you, when you change the operating system, it messes everything up yeah. and it yeah. takes a load of time. You have to sit there waiting and then the, the programs don't work and you have to integrate them again. But when it's all working again, now you, you're off. And I think yeah. that process of, of, of deep reflection, foundational yeah. reflection allows us to do that. Um, and that's also really, really important. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. That's um, really helpful. Thank you. If I may add there, Tim, that I guess the power of psychedelics is that it can de defrag and disrupt your your operating system, which may may be needed because of indoctrination, conditioning, just being being human in, in this society. But I guess the uh, the challenges are if you don't have I guess the the, the support in the community or you know I, you know I guess philosophers around you, you people can be um, at real risk of 
uh, you know, being attached to potential cults as well, opening yep. up these altered states and then they don't have a belief system anymore. Who's got the strongest? Who's the most charming? Why? Um, and I guess this is the risk of really young people doing psychedelics as well as people with different mental illnesses as well is that they need it, they need a community and people to hold that um, the, the, the rapid shift in operating systems and to empower them to question and find you know their own compass yeah a beautiful compass talk. that resonates with them yeah. beautiful talk. Hmm. thanks Dan anyone else got a question you can put in the chat or pop your hand up Got a lot of students here tonight. You're all being marked. Maybe. Um, here we go. <laughs> I'm not a student anymore. It's fine. Um, maybe, maybe not a question, but maybe um, something I'd maybe like to understand a little bit more. And it's the the deeper wakes. Uh, is it a state that you're referring to, or? philosophy or kind of a combination of things and I guess how do you you know how could we all walking away from this webinar tonight maybe um facilitate that a little bit yeah great so the phrase deep awake is just a phrase I developed to try and give a name for these emergent experiences originally when I started using it I was still very much embedded I think semi-unconsciously probably in Indian philosophy i didn't even know that i knew that's what it was of course but i didn't see it clearly or what that's the foundational reflection dam that i had to go through to go oh hang on a second uh, so i saw it as a state because in india it's the idea there's an enlightened state and when you find that one state you're done and you get the t-shirt and you don't have to come back and reincarnate into this shithole again because you're off and that's the fundamental devolutionary idea what I now think is there's a whole range of states um, and I call them deep awake because they like being awake but deeper and you're 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 touching things you don't normally and one of the most profound ones of that is felt as this oneness or this communion with everything and what what I think of as the big love that that oneness feels like love because because love is how oneness feels you know you, if you love somebody it's because you feel a deep connection with that person or that activity in fact or that place and and that's felt as love it's and, and and that moves into the body in a certain way and when you hit that deep communion or oneness there's this enormous love which is quite something um and changes how you re relate to the to existence um so I, I see it really like that then the philosophy that I'm developing is an attempt to do what Dan was saying. It's like, okay, so how do I understand that? And how do I, how, what's the most trustworthy way I can understand that? And maybe, maybe the way we're understanding these deep awake states needs to evolve like everything else. So it wasn't like the ancients knew and we've forgotten. It's like, no, the ancients gave it their best guess, found the most plausible thing, moved it all on and passed it to the next generation and said, see what you can do with this. And we are the, the current generation. So it's like, we'll see what you can do with this. And we have this whole body of scientific knowledge, which they didn't have. So to ignore that seems very foolish. So how can we integrate the scientific story of the evolving universe 
with the spiritual uh, experiences like that I'm calling them deep awake. So I'm looking for that philosophy. And that's what I wrote about in my uh, book, Soul Story. And now I'm working on calling it a univigilism because I think you, it's, it's about supporting and helping us achieve this state of being a univigil. And then you said, how can we touch it, didn't you? So that, that's the important bit, so. Um, well, one of the simplest ways is what Alana already talked about for me, which is to be conscious of the mystery. And, you, and that you even can do when you're doing the accounts or the washing or whatever it is that you don't like doing. It, it, it's, it's just a step out and go, you know, no, no matter how my, you know, Alana said, has my have I, am I closer to cracking it? And it's like, yeah, much closer. Have I cracked it? Of course not. There's no cracking it. That's impossible. I'm looking for the most plausible explanation of something which is constantly more evolving. And, but it has evolved, but the mystery hasn't got any smaller. It's just that the way that I've just understood the nature of existence for me more than I did 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And so, you know, one of the things I recommend, Lana's already said this really, is just stop every now and again and just the mystery of it, that you are, that this is. And, and even the, you know, the things are so infinitely small and infinitely big and that you were born and that there's death and that you can communicate and that there's the imagination. You can go into the psyche like we do with psychedelics. You can go in anyway. You can dream. You can think. You can ask questions. You can, we are the universe thinking about itself. It's amazing. And like suddenly what can seem by putting your attention on that as well as this, not instead, because you'll need this too, then suddenly this becomes numinous. It's like this starts to sparkle because you're also aware of the profound mystery of it all, which is the more emergent, the more than. So that I recommend just that as, as a starting place. Did that oh, make sense? Absolutely, I did. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. And, and personally, I love um, imagining, you know, different, different states of consciousness. Or, and I guess that's why I love psychedelics so much because I have the, I've had the honour of, I guess, shape-shifting into different, um, you know, I guess, experiences of animals or plants or people or times in history. And, you know, it's quite powerful to explore, explore the mystery by, by entering into different, different consciousnesses. But even just um, virtual reality, I did on, on the weekend where we, uh, we we put on the headset and we went free diving with um, divers who were specialising in tiger sharks and then they put the VR headset on the tiger shark and we got to see the world and move from the perspective of a shark. Um, and I guess I'm just explaining this because there's, there's obviously synergies now with VR projects and psychedelics, but it just, I, I, I laughed and it just reminded me of... Um, you know, how important it is to shift our consciousness away from our own view of the world and, and, and step into the other. And whether that's through travel, through reading, through poetry, through VR, through, you know, day, I love David Attenborough documentaries, just, you know, feeling into the consciousness of, of, of another form on this planet. And um, I find that if you're, yeah, going through life and it's feeling dull and you're in patterns and working too hard, nine to five, 
spend some time with another consciousness, an animal, a plant. Yeah, really powerful. I love that idea. Of, oh, that sounds great. I want to do that. It was so good. Oh, so. Yeah, I bet it was, yeah. <laughs> time for a couple more before we, we yeah, sign off. So yeah, now's your chance, everyone. Got Priscilla? Priscilla has her hand up, I can see. Go for it. Thank you, I think, for sharing. Um, yes, I, I think I just, um, I'm not sure if I understood this correctly, but earlier in the conversation, you mentioned something around immersion. And you said um, it can be powerful and transformative. I, I just want to learn more about that, if you could just explain a little further. Thank you. Yeah, I think the context that I was talking about it, Priscilla, was this um, what is in effect an eye gazing ceremony that is at the heart of my what I call deep awakening retreats or gatherings. Um, and I see it like an immersion, like 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 we've said, you know, life is full of lots of things. You have to give it your attention and to get by, you're giving your attention often to a lot of things you may not really want to give it to, but you need to because of pragmatic reasons. So. The importance of being able to take time at a spiritual retreat or doing a, a psychedelic in the right way is that you can you can be in a safe place to place your attention somewhere else so what i give people is like you know their food's taken care of what's going to happen to them is taken care of they just turn up and then i'll lead them through a journey and then immerse them in connection so deeply and what it does fundamentally, I mean, it's obviously a, it's a different experience, but is, is quite similar to the idea of what happens with psychedelics. Because with psychedelics, you are shifting your uh, chemical um, uh, system, um, but, it's all, but also your psychological system. You know, the, the, it's not, you know, you're connecting with the past of all the, you know, certainly if you're using a, a shamanic, um, in a shamanic tradition, but nevertheless, you're shifting it and it's quite dramatic. And, and suddenly you're like, you know, it, it is, I don't know, the equivalent I can remember is being a young boy going to India and being in England one moment and then the next minute stepping out into New Delhi and thinking, wow, what the hell? And how do I, how do I process this? And just the whole thing being overwhelming, but amazing. And like that with like Bush, you're in a new world, aren't you? In psychedelic, and so that's going to have your that's that's opening up the creativity of the universe. The, the same creativity which has got us from hydrogen to here, you're right there where it can happen, and that can be really good or or not as well. Creativity can be both, can't it? Because it's unstable. The the familiar is stable, safe. You know how to process it. I know the way to the shops from here. I'm not, you know, I don't know where I am in New Delhi. You know, all of that. And, and so we go to these places where we're having an experience which we can't process straightforwardly. And the danger is it's, it, we're not, well, it, it, the danger and the opportunity are the same thing. And so that we can, and so, so the same thing with these immersions, although it's a, a very safe space, prepare everyone so they feel very relaxed with each other. And one of the things that's big for me is that you know, when I went to spiritual retreats when I was younger, I used to, along with everybody else, I used to kind of pretend, really. I used to kind of put on a spiritual tin. And so I'd be like, you've got to talk more slowly and uh, <clears throat> a little bit lower. And, uh, you know, 
not like me at all. You know, I'm really fast and move my hands around and, you know, it's like, but I'd be this other person. Because So one of the things I do is I just get everyone comfortable being whatever they are. Because some people are really like that and they're wonderful. But other people are like me and very speedy. And, and that's all right. That's okay too. Just be yourself. And once you get that, then you're in a really safe place and then you can deeply connect. I do it online as well. You deeply connect and then another person, you and then you are immersed in the thing you're really immersed in, Priscilla, I think, is the love. That's the big thing. You're just immersed in so much love. It's like you can feel it. It's almost physical. It's like you're almost like you're swimming in it. That's how it feels. And that's a, a, a profoundly transformative experience. Did, did that get across a bit more clearly what I was talking about? Priscilla, people can do it in different ways. Like in your culture, there might be people doing it through certain trance or drumming or, you know, there's many ways of entering that portal with people in, in an immersion and in a deeper wake state. And cultures you know, have their own versions. And that's why um, anthropology is so incredible and interesting to read because you get to see these patterns throughout history of people, you know, choosing consciously to enter those spaces together. And I think that's what, um, you know, we lost in the West is that uh, intentional uh, immersive experiences with each other and um, even more so during COVID obviously so yeah it's exciting that there's there's so many different ways of entering those places and Dan did you want to ask that question directly or would you like us to read it uh, yeah I can ask it Alana um, yeah thanks Tim it's been great to hear you talk um, yeah my question was around um, yeah on on the other side of the, the mystical experience um, your perspective on how you view um, pain and suffering or through the people you work with, the changes that you've seen um, from their perspective as well, given that, you know, there, there is a lot of it. Yes, there's all of this love, but there is another um, aspect to the human experience as well. So I'm interested in your view on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the first thing to say in relation to the, the I'll deal with the last bit first, Dan, which is, you know, the love. You know, when you say the word love, it's very easy to think of it or maybe this is me, but it's very easy to think of it like, you know, pink fluffy love. It's like, love, all you need is love. I love all that. I love pink fluffy love. I, I get as much pink fluffy love as I can get my hands on. But love actually isn't like that only. Love is also big and strong. It's an emotion which can hold things. So thinking about the experience I mentioned earlier with my, my dying mother as one example, the love was big enough to hold it and hold me and sustain me. So it embraces the suffering. That's what I see. It's like it doesn't, and, to, and, and a big revelation for me on my journey was going, oh, being willing, be, loving is being willing to suffer. I, I mean, I remember the, the, the feeling 22 years ago of holding my baby daughter in my arms and her opening her eyes for the first time and looking into mine and just thinking, oh my God, I'm fucked because if anything happens to this little girl, I am gonna suffer so badly and I'm gonna do anything to look after her. But I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna take that risk. This love is so strong, that's it, I'm taking that risk. And so that love kind of feels like it's big enough to hold suffering and it's being willing to suffer. And then what's the suffering and the pain? Well, it, there, if you can differentiate them, you can think of pain as biological perhaps and suffering as psychological. Um, 
and they're obviously when the system can't find its can't can't find a relationship with itself or the whole which is beneficial to it in some way and given the complexity of existence and our complexity i myself have come to a conclusion that is inevitable that that will happen um, at some point for, for everybody sometimes very dramatically there's all you know terrible suffering and i would like to minimize as much suffering as possible my own and everybody else's um, but i'm not um, optimistic about getting rid of it if i want to stay engaged with the process of life because life seems bittersweet to me poignant um, and then the wisdom becomes how you handle it which i guess is what you're kind of alluding to dan it's like how do you handle the fact that life has got suffering in it and the way in which I do my best to handle it is to, to keep trying to move myself into these what I would call more emergent or more evolved states of my soul in which I'm also in touch with something which is transcendent of the suffering um, that enables me to hold the suffering and to engage with it um, as best as I'm able. Uh, and I'm one of the changes, I forget who said, asked me about the changes that have happened with life is a big change is I'm far more tolerant with Tim's limitations as I get older than I was when I was younger. Because again, I had this kind of idea I should be some sort of perfect enlightened person. By the time I'm 60, I should be like, and I'd be permanently in some, and you know, none of that has happened. Um, I'm delighted to say actually, that none of that's happened. Uh, but what has happened instead is this both and where I think, oh, I see there's Tim going through it. He's suffering. He's dealing with this. He's angry about things, all the things that Tim experiences. And I'm aware of this. I'm aware that I, I've learned or arrived at a place where I'm touching into something greater, something which is a, a unity, which is emerging from everything. I, I, the experience when I was 12, I thought of as, of, of, thought of as God, something which, which was love. And, and I think that's the way that I would now see and deal with both pain and suffering without ever, ever underestimating how difficult the experience is. No, that's brilliant. Thank you. Well, then, my pleasure. Then. Mm. It really, really requires a, um, you know, a, a deep awake to, to all states of being and all the whole spectrum of, of the human form and all, all the range of emotions. And when you cut, you cut yourself off to the bad, cut yourself off to to the good and that's why we need to be able to, to sit and move with with all of these spaces and that's and that's why psychedelics can be so powerful for for people to to unlock unfreeze stop dissociating and feel feel you know the universe in all her glory um and I resonate Tim with what you said about holding your daughter I remember when I held my son and you know I had a loving childhood and I've got a loving partner of nearly 20 years but I remember looking at my boy and thinking, I, I shouldn't have done this. He's too, too amazing to be here. Can I, can I put him back? Can I, you know, and that process of um, holding that big love and what it requires for parents and or any of us who, who love, um, it's huge courage to, to love deeply. And, you know, it does come with, yeah, as you said, with suffering, but it's, um, it's worth it's worth it most people find and the other thing which is yeah. right there with parenting isn't it alana and many of you will know from your own experience is service 
it's like the, the, the deep awake experience, whether it's through psychedelics or just through whatever, the gazing, anything, meditating, just happens. Mine just happened. It's like the place when you feel the love, it not only does it include the suffering, but it, it propels you to serve, I think, to make your story a valuable contribution to the story of the whole universe and to bring it into there's a kind of universal benevolence that comes from the most emergent states and with it it seems to me comes an individual responsibility to express that great benevolence in your particular life your particular relationships your particular struggles your particular impossible problems you'll can't ever quite solve all that stuff it's like that's where you that you are the universe dealing with that and uh, so there's a, a far from a kind of moving away there's a massive re-engagement i think in fact you're able to engage more absolutely and i think with um with psychedelic integration i'm often you know i'm really big on big on that i echo that when someone comes into the room and says i've realized that we're one and you know i'm full of love and okay so what now what now yeah. because with with huge awakening also comes can come huge responsibility if you want to keep yeah. growing and, and and expanding into those states you can't just take those pearls and then <laughs> keep you them should give yourself. that one to spider-man you should up that, so you can update it's very good yeah the huge awakening yeah. comes huge responsibility I like absolutely that. there's a meme in that somewhere <laughs> there is um all right had his hand up i just saw alana when you were talking yeah awesome and we'll probably that might be the last question yeah also hi rob go for it um yeah good evening uh, i um i feel i'm very much in the right place of, of coming to something there that i wasn't quite prepared for but i'll try to give a bit of quick context before i ask my question um, because I'm, I'm one of um, Tim's international community and I've been to one of the retreats and I explore his philosophy with him regularly so we, we, we're on our, at our meetings. Um, I'm also a community pharmacist and um, there's a, a clean, uh, how would you say, there's always been a clean, a clear line in our practice as to between psychotropics and psychedelics where we haven't been allowed to venture, you know, and I also have to be very careful um, over a pharmacy counter, what I say and, you know, what sort of, you know, what sort of is, is out of the realm of accepted um, professionality. And except in maybe in the last 12 months where I've been asked to source, um, where I'm starting to see, you know, occasionally a prescriber with uh, medicinal cannabis. And this seems to be um, something I have to source for people from, you know, with some regularity now. But um, it seems like... Um, there's a whole new opening or um, how would you say, uh, just, just from all of you being here tonight in Australia, we're getting a bit of um, openness to, to other areas. Um, and this is something that I've heard of, I haven't explored, but it's quite new to me. So are we, is, is this something relatively recent and where can I, where can I sort of uh, read more about what your organisation, your associations are doing? Yeah, we might send out um, also some links to Tim's Tim stuff for the Australian crew, and I can put in you know information about what's happening in the community because there's there's a lot happening. Um, but I, I just do want to acknowledge Entheogenesis Australis has been working behind the scenes for twenty years, oh. grassroots psychedelics, and then now there's a huge boom and 
you know, capitalism is doing what it does, which, you know, I'm not, not against people making money, but just to acknowledging that there's been, you know, some pretty solid um, wisdom and community action happening for, for decades, but it wasn't the right time culturally and from a media perspective and from a clinical trials and funding perspective. So now, now we have the right time um, and it's just about building that culture and that community that can hold um, many people now entering altered states of consciousness. And um, that's what my, I guess my passion here in Australia after many trials and errors and a very challenging two years in the psychedelic space, um, seeing the dark side of psychedelics as well as seeing, um, yeah, just huge uh, organisations with integrity is um, building a culture that we can actually support people to, to journey well and to embody and, um, you know, as Tim's saying, that, that you know, like responsibility and, and service. So, yeah, we can, we can update you what's happening. All right. Do you want to leave it there or do we want to answer Em's final question in the chat, Tim? Um, I feel like probably I've, I've, I've had a go answering that really. Em, okay. um, yeah. About, um, you know, I think you can experience this in a million ways. Um, literally. You know, you don't, psychedelics is one way and it's a kind of particular flavor of experience, experiential flavor. And then the other ways have their own experiential flavor. And my advice to, always is to everyone is, is to follow what's right for you because you're a unique individual in the world and you will get drawn to uh, different things. And so follow that and, but be careful. Uh, don't be too careful but be careful enough and uh um if you do that i think there's a huge thing which I'm, I'm sure you talk about in this community a lot with psychedelics it always puzzled me when i was young because a lot everyone would have big experiences some people have really horrible experiences on lsd and so forth and 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 some people just sat down and drunk special brew and looked at the colored television turned up you know, it's like, what, what's going on with that? And I would be talking to God. It was like, and then, I, but every time I took anything, even as a kid, it was a sacrament. Mm. It was an intention to go to the deepest place. And just about always I did. And that's also true with everything else. It's like, if you have the intention, it's extraordinary how life responds to that. And things will come to you. Um, maybe psychedelics, maybe not, maybe something else. But some things will come to you, which will lead you through to the next step of your journey. I'm absolutely confident in that. Well put, Tim. And I think as we move towards winter solstice, um, it, it might be a good time to ground into what is your intention for the next cycle, for the next three months. And, you know, there's so much medicine in just playing with intention, not in an ungrounded, chasing synchronicities way, but a, what is my... <laughs> What's my prayer? What's my intention? What's my focus for this for this cycle? And um, yeah, invite you to do that. So thank you, Tim. That was awesome. We covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate your time, and um, I'll be sharing this on all my channels. And and um, I know that so many more students uh, along the journey are going to get so much out of this. So thank you for for being here and all the work that you're doing. Real, real. Um, yeah, you're very pivotal in a very dark wild and magical time in my life so and oh. feeling really reconnected to it again so thank you it's been such a delight to talk with you alana and to hang out with all of you awesome see you everyone good night <laughs>